Hello, everyone. Welcome to Fit Body Happy Joints. My name is Shannon. Almost forgot the name of my own podcast. It's one of those days. Welcome back. Today, we're talking about low impact workouts and how low impact workouts can be super beneficial, but that low impact workouts don't always equate to low low joint stress workouts. So low impact and low joint stress are not necessarily synonymous. People think that just because they're not jumping around, that their workouts are safer or less joint stress when this isn't necessarily the truth. And then on the flip side of the coin, I think people think that low impact workouts are easy and ineffective and that low impact sacrifices effectiveness for being easier on your joints. So today I want to kind of dispel some of those misconceptions and really talk about you know, the mistakes that I see in low impact training and then how to make your low impact training the most effective. For some people, you know, low impact means cycling or swimming. For others, it's walking. But I think that most people would agree that low impact exercise is anything where you're not jumping or running or you're not like hitting the ground with a lot of force. The purpose, I think, for many people who pursue low-impact training is to ultimately protect their joints and feel better. You know, my knee hurts, so I need to do low-impact training instead. My back hurts, so I need to do low-impact training instead. And today I want to talk about how low-impact can be great, but it might not necessarily be the impact that is what's bothering your joints. It could be exercise selection. It could be dosage. And Not all low-impact training regimens are created equal, so we're going to talk about that today. I did an entire podcast about how impact is not necessarily the enemy. If you are interested in that, go back. That's podcast number 20 if you want to learn about that. But today we're just going to talk about how low-impact and low joint stress are not necessarily always synonymous. Of course, they can be, but we're going to talk about the cases when they are and the cases when they aren't. Low-impact can be extremely effective and great for your body. And again, I just want to dispel some kind of common misconceptions about low impact and how to make your low impact workouts both effective and easy on your joints. So the first thing to consider is the dosage and repetition of your routine. Variety is king or queen (laughs) and doing too much of the same movement over and over and over in high repetition is probably not the best use of your inj- of your energy and can often cause issues in your body. Low impact movement like think swimming, biking and sometimes even some pilates and yoga are often highly repetitive. You're doing the same movements over and over especially swimming and biking which can cause overuse injuries. So for example, often those who bike too often can have, you know, low back pain from being hinged over for long periods of time and for overusing certain muscles like their hip flexors. Again, I'm not saying that if you bike, you're doomed to low back pain. I'm just saying that the high repetition done too frequently can cause these overuse injuries. Same thing with swimmers. Oftentimes, you know, swimming can be great if it's dosed correctly, but swimmers often present with shoulder pain from the repetitive overhead movement. And likewise, those who do Pilates will sometimes have wrist pain from too many planks or back back pain from too much uh, core work. 
And even a lot of individuals who do a lot of power yoga every day have shoulder, neck, and wrist pain from all of the chaturanga push-ups. So those were just common injuries that I would see from doing too much of a certain exercise when I was in clinical practice as a physical therapist. Very, very common injuries in those given exercise modalities. So my recommendation is to vary the movement you're doing. Again, none of those modalities are wrong or bad, you know, in isolation, but If you're doing them too frequently, you can start to develop those overuse injuries. So I always say, you know, resistance training, especially for women, should be the primary focus of the time that you're spending in your workouts. And then if you want to lace in a swim a couple of times a week or a bike ride a couple of times a week, as long as you're not developing those overuse type injuries, and as long as you're recovering from your resistance training exercises, then those can be great to add in. And again, I did an entire podcast about how to track if you're recovering, if you're wanting to lace in those things without getting in the way of your resistance training. So listen to episode number 38 to track if you're recovering. So you don't have to jump around at all to see adaptations from your routine. If you don't like jumping, if you find that whenever you jump, you know, it doesn't feel great on your joints, you do not have to jump around at all to see great benefits from your routine. But if you don't vary your movement and if you're just doing the same high repetition movement or you know the same patterns over and over, you're likely to develop those joint issues over time just as you would if you were doing high impact. So you can't necessarily just trade high impact for low impact, but do the same exact low impact workout every single day and expect your joints to feel better. And then the other common misconception that about low impact workouts is that fitness classes that are low impact where you're not jumping, like think like a, a bar class or a Pilates class or a sculpt class, that those classes are more joint friendly because you're not jumping up and down. And, you know, this can be true. Of course, I always like to caveat none of none of these things that I'm saying are absolutes. It's just generalizations. And I'm sure there are bar teachers who really understand the body and biomechanics. You know, they understand how our joints move. They understand that the knee hinges and that the knee doesn't twist. They understand how forces travel through your spine or your shoulders. And, you know, they understand the difference between early phase and late phase loaded exercises. There are some who do. There are some excellent ones who really understand the body. But in my experience, many are not taught this. And I'm not bashing anyone at all. I just want to bring awareness to it because I certainly wasn't taught these things in the, you know, dozen fitness trainings that I took or even in physical therapy school. A lot of these things are not really taught or fully understood. And so people think that low impact workouts, no matter what's in that workout is going to be better for me than high impact workouts. And that's just not necessarily true. I had to learn all of these things about biomechanics and about, you know, the physics of exercise truly much later Unfortunately, after I had already been teaching for years and years, but I truly believe that, you know, when you know better, you do better. And that's part of the reason why I have this podcast so that I can spread this education that I now have and that I now understand. So although you might not be jumping, exercise selection is very important for limiting joint stress. So again, just because you might not be jumping up and down a lot, your workout might have a bunch of exercises that kind of violate your joint anatomy or are, uh, you know, slowly wearing away at your joints, even if you're not jumping up and down, which is a very important thing to understand. 
So for example, let's say, let's talk about the knee. Let's say you're doing a lot of like curtsy lunges and curtsy lunges are when it's it's like a regular lunge with one leg forward, except the opposite leg is kind of crossed behind. So it looks like you're doing a little curtsy. And the problem with curtsy lunges is the, how forces go through the knee. The knee is primarily a hinge joint, which means it moves forward and backwards. Think about how you open a door, right? You can open a door forward and backwards, but you couldn't like twist a door, right? So for the most part, we want to limit sideways or twisting forces through the knee since the structure of the knee isn't designed for those type of forces. So again, we think about a door, we want to pull the handle in a certain direction. But let's say, you know, for some reason we were pulling down on the door, like holding the top of the door at the at the very top of the door and kind of pulling downwards. Over time, that might not be great for the hinges and the hinges might actually come off the door. Whereas we can pull really, really hard from the door handle and nothing's going to happen to the hinges. So our knees are similar, right? So we want the forces to go through our knee from forward to backward, bending the knee and not twisting the knee or putting sideways forces through the knee. So to limit those sideways or twisting forces through the knee, for the most part, we want to keep the thigh bone kind of facing forward and backwards like a regular lunge. And this means that the knee will be hinging, right? And less twisting or sideways forces traveling through the knee. But when you cross one leg behind like you do in a curtsy lunge, now your center of gravity is shifted towards the side of the front leg. So this means that your thigh bone has to kind of angle inwards. So if you were to look at someone doing, and you can Google this if you want, look at someone doing a curtsy lunge from straight forward, you'll see that their thigh bone is angled inwards, but their their tibia or their lower leg is kind of straight up and down. So this then places a twisting force of the thigh bone on top of the the lower leg. So now you've twisted the knee. And again, most people can do curtsy lunges here and there and be totally fine. Or a lot of people, you know, can do curtsy lunges their whole life and never have issues. And curtsy lunges, I'm not saying they're, they're a bad glute exercise. They can be a great glute exercise. But is it the best exercise, the safest exercise for your knee because of those forces. And I would say probably not for the general public and regular lunges where your thigh bone is traveling straight forward and backwards. And, you know, you don't have that twisting uh, position of the knee. Regular lunges can be great, just as good for the glutes and less knee stress. So that's an example of a low impact exercise that yes, although you're not jumping up and down, it still can be stressful on your joints, especially in that higher repetition range, or if you're doing it, you know, day after day, week after week, things like that. So it's nothing to be afraid of. It's just to illustrate the importance of exercise selection. Another common problem that makes lower impact workouts not as high bang for your buck is the emphasis on late phase loaded exercises. And this is something that I've talked about in other podcasts and it's a little uh, more technical. So hang with me. I'm going to try to talk slow. I tend to talk really fast. I'm going to try to talk slow. Phase loading is again, something I've touched upon before. And it's really something that we emphasize a lot in the Evolo classes. And I think it's one of the reasons why our classes can be shorter and yet higher bang for your buck. And one of the reasons why we hear from so many of our clients, you know, I've done, I've tried 
every single workout, tons of other lifting workouts, and yet I'm seeing better results from the Evlo classes. And I think, you know, part of it is that we give our body enough time to recover. And then part of it is our exercise selection and that we're choosing early phase loaded exercises more frequently. So exercise is all about moving against the force of gravity. Truly exercise is physics and gravity doesn't really care how our body is oriented or how our muscles contract. It's always pulling us straight down. So it's always pulling our limbs straight down. And we can use gravity to our advantage to create strong muscles with less stress to our joints. And we can do this through phase loading or understanding the resistance curve. So phase loading is where in a movement the muscle is more or less loaded. So let's put it, let's use some examples. You'll notice that in most movements, there's a quote unquote like sticking point where the exercise feels harder, like the weight almost feels heavier. And then usually two-ish points where the exercise or the weight feels lighter. So it's like, oh, if I just get past this one little point, then it gets lighter and I can finish the movement. So for example, in a bicep curl, the sticking point is when you're halfway through the movement, when your forearm is parallel to the ground. That's the point in the movement where it feels the most challenging, where the weight feels the heaviest. And then once you get past that point and you approach the top of the movement, the weight all of a sudden feels lighter and you feel like, oh, okay, as long as I get past that point, then I can finish the movement. So understanding that this happens in every single exercise because of gravity and because of levers and moment arms, then we can look how muscles contract to choose exercises that match our anatomy. Again, if I'm losing you, (laughs) I apologize, but um, I I don't want to get too deep into this. I'm thinking I'm going to do a separate podcast about this specifically, but essentially we want to understand how our muscles contract and then orient ourselves to gravity so that we're taking advantage of that. So muscles are typically stronger when they're elongated and weaker when they're shortened. So they can produce more force generally. Again, there's exceptions. They can generally produce more force when they're in their lengthened state and less force when they're in their shortened state. So it's like launching a rubber band. The rubber band has more capacity to travel further when it's fully stretched, right? So if you were to like pinch a rubber band at either end and stretch it as as far as it could, it would go really far. Versus if you only stretched it halfway, it wouldn't launch quite as far. So knowing this principle, knowing that muscles are generally stronger when they're longer and generally weaker when they're shorter, we can attempt to quote unquote match our exercise selection so that gravity is creating the most force when the muscles are longer and stronger and less force when the muscles are shorter and weaker. So let's take some examples because, again, that was kind of a lot. (laughs) But, for example, you'll notice that in Evlo, we don't often do a lot of traditional shoulder exercises like standing lateral front, standing lateral raises for the deltoids, like where you're standing and you're moving your arm away from your body, or front raises, again, where you're standing and you're moving your arm in front of you to target the deltoids. We don't often do shoulder exercises like that. Not that these exercises are wrong or bad, but we prefer to load the deltoids, the shoulders, in a way that more accurately matches their capabilities for producing force. 
So what we do is we tip our bodies on our side. So then we do the same movement of the shoulder, bringing your arm out to the side, a side-lying lateral raise, bringing your arm out to the side and down when you're laying on your side. Except the hardest part of this movement is at the very beginning, when you first kind of start the movement. And then as you get to the top with your knuckles kind of stacked over your shoulder at the top, you'll notice that it gets easier and easier. And then almost when you're at the top, it almost feels like you could hold that forever. There's no work. Now, this is the opposite when you're doing a standing lateral raise, like a more traditional uh, lateral raise. In a standing lateral raise, there is little or no work in the beginning of the movement. So when you just first initiate the movement, it doesn't feel hard at all, right? Very easy for you to get through those first degrees of movement. And then it progressively gets harder as your arm approaches 90 degrees or as your arm becomes parallel to the ground when you're standing. Now, the side-lying lateral raise where you're laying on your side and the hardest part is when you first initiate the movement, that early phase loads the deltoids and the standing lateral raise late phase loads the deltoids because when you're in your side-lying lateral raise, the hardest part of the movement is when the deltoid is longer, when the muscle is longer And it gets easier as the muscle gets shorter, but it's the opposite in a standing lateral raise where the, the movement is easiest at the bottom when the muscle is longer and able to produce a lot of force. And then it gets more challenging or loaded more when the muscle gets shorter and is less capable of producing force. So by early phase loading the muscle using the sideline lateral raise, this matches quote unquote how the deltoid can, how the shoulder can produce force and tends to be safer and more effective. Whereas the standing lateral raise, late phase loads the deltoids, meaning the exercise is quote unquote the hardest when the muscle is fully shortened and less able to produce force. When you are doing late phase loaded exercises, they're not always bad or wrong, but they can be a place for compensation and vulnerability if the resistance is too heavy. And the problem with a standing lateral raise or a lot of late phase loaded exercises is that they miss the opportunity to load the deltoid through the first half of the motion when the muscle is stronger. So things like, I know that was a lot, (laughs) I'm going to bring it all back. So late phase loaded exercises include things like standing arm circles uh, or, or lateral, those lateral raises, donkey lifts where you're in all fours and you lift your leg behind you, bridges tricep kickbacks, bent over rows, bent over flies. All of these exercises are late phase loaded. I'm sure there's many more. And they're not wrong or bad. And again, we lace in a few of these exercises into our routine. But if building muscle with the least amount of joint stress and the least amount of time is your goal, these exercises probably shouldn't be your primary focus. They probably shouldn't make up most of your workouts. Yet in many low impact type workouts, they do tend to make up the bulk of those types of workouts, making that low impact workout less bang for your buck. So instead, you can choose exercises that early phase load the muscles and yet are still low impact. They're not jumping around and yet they're better bang for your buck because you are using gravity and physics to your advantage. So exercises like this are the ones that you'll often see in our Evlo classes. They're the ones that we're doing the most or paying the most attention to things like bicep curls, step ups, skull crushers, 
side-lying lateral raises, and side-lying rows. So that's phase loading and how a lot of low-impact workouts, I think, get the reputation for not being as effective because a lot of the exercises in low-impact workouts tend to be late-phase loaded. And finally, one way to make your low-impact workouts more effective is kind of in the same vein, and it's getting close to failure within that 60 to 90 seconds instead of only focusing on muscle endurance and really targeting one singular muscle for like a long period of time. Like for example, again, doing those shoulder circles where your arms are out to the side, you don't really have weights in your arms or you have light weights and you're doing that type of movement for a really long period of time. So not only is that exercise late phase loaded, but it's also only targeting your endurance fibers which are your type one muscle fibers, which generally tend to be smaller and less responsible for muscle hypertrophy or growing those muscles. And oftentimes it can lead to some overuse type injuries because you have to do that type of exercise for a long time to get any sort of fatigue in the muscle. So getting close to failure within that 60 to 90 seconds per exercise, per set, means that you're likely utilizing your type 2 muscle fibers and your type 1 muscle fibers. And this will lead to muscle hypertrophy or muscle growth over time. And again, this is something I've talked about as at length as well. But if you've been doing an exercise for, you know, 60 to 90 seconds and you you feel like you could easily do 10 more reps or hold it for a lot longer, you're probably only targeting those type 1 muscle fibers. This is not bad, and it can be great to lace in workouts that are more targeting those type 1, those endurance muscle fibers. It can be great for uh, stability, endurance, but you might not see as good of muscle hypertrophy or muscle growth if you're only doing those types of workouts, if you're only doing exercises that you are holding for a really long period of time, you know, they're late phase loaded, and It's something that you're doing for like minutes on end. So again, not bad to stimulate those type one fibers, but stimulating the type two muscle fibers by using, you know, selecting exercises that are targeting your muscles in a more challenging way, exercises that you really couldn't do for longer than 90 seconds. Those stimulate the type two muscle fibers and type two muscle fibers are very important for I think everyone, but specifically women and specifically women of any age, but those who are, you know, around my age and we're going to start to lose our type two muscle fibers, you know, in your thirties and beyond, even in your twenties, I'd say it's important to either maintain, at least maintain. And for most of us build up those type two muscle fibers, because we do tend to lose them as we get older and it causes all sorts of issues. Okay. So that was a lot. Just to summarize and put all of this in a pretty little package, not all low impact workouts are created equal. We want variety. We probably shouldn't be doing the same workout every single day. If you love to swim or you love to spin or you love to do whatever, do it for sure. But make sure that you're prioritizing your resistance training and you're not overdoing it and developing those overuse type ex- uh, overuse type injuries. So that's number one is that variety is king. And then number two is exercise selection is important. It's not just about form, right? It's about understanding how our joints are moving and how forces are traveling through our body. 
and working with someone who really understands, you know, how the knee moves and how, how, if I, if I change this body position, what happens to my joints? Understanding with someone, working with someone who understands that I think is really important if you don't understand it. And then also we want to make sure that we're choosing exercises that early phase load the muscle more frequently. Again, I gave you some examples, things like step-ups, things like bicep curls, skull crushers, chest presses, things like that. Even if you're just using body weight, a lot of times those early phase loaded exercises will be more effective than those late phase loaded exercises like kickbacks, donkey lifts, bridges, etc. And lastly, focusing on that 60 to 90 second set, targeting one muscle group at a time to induce muscle hypertrophy rather than every single workout being these like really long sets where you're going well over that 90 second mark and just kind of targeting those type one or endurance muscle fibers. Okay, so that was it. I hope this cleared some things up. I'm gonna link eight free Evlo classes in the description if you wanna try those and see if it's a good fit for you. We also have a 14 day free trial in case you wanna just try it and there's no pressure. If you don't like it, it's not for you. You can cancel within those 14 days. But you know, I think that we've found that using a lot of these scientific tools has really allowed our community to see awesome things in their body and feel better doing it. So that's it for now. I hope you all have a great Thursday. We will see you all next week. Talk later. Bye.